You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hi, everyone. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. So before we get started, just wanted to mention that first, we hope you are all well. Um, at the time of recording, which is the end of May, Station F is currently open to residents and closed to the public. So just wanted to make sure that everybody was clear on that. Also, we're in the middle of conducting a comprehensive study with over 100 different VC funds from a number of different countries, including Excel, Index, Firstmark, SV Angel, and the likes. So we will have results to share pretty soon. Now on with the episode. We have decided to make this a coronavirus VC special for a number of reasons. I think first, we wanted to see how COVID has changed VC activity. Uh, we've seen a lot of VCs say they're open for business, but what does that actually mean? Um, on the downside, we've actually had some talk of how the current situation may negatively impact deals and deal terms. Um, and on the flip side, we've also heard about VCs closing deals despite the current context. Uh, so we want to know what that looks like and see if that will in any way change VC activity in the long run. So to discuss all of this today, we have Kaya Hurtado, who is principal at Balderton Capital. We have Fred Destin, who is co-founder and general partner at Stride. And we'll also get a chance to catch up with Hussein Kanji, who is partner at Hoxton Ventures in a little bit. Hello, Kay and Fred. Thanks for joining the conversation today. It's our pleasure. Nice to be here. Very nice to be here, Rox. Super. So now, before we get into details about what it means to make an investment today in the current context, I'd like both of you to walk us through how each of your funds have reacted since the beginning of the crisis. A lot of funds seem to quickly scramble to reassure entrepreneurs that they were quote unquote open for business, um, although they were probably 80% hands down in portfolio survival, um, maybe currently seeing a huge drop in deal flow. Is that the case with what you guys have been seeing? Kaya, let's start with you. Sure. To answer that shortly, I think it's, it's very difficult to say business as usual when this situation is really not usual at all, right? So um, starting with that, I think everyone has had to adapt to this new norm. And I do believe in the, there's been a lot of time put into the portfolio and portfolio always comes first. So uh, when this situation happens, I think uh, indeed a, a lot of that time went towards kind of figuring out what the situation was, the, trying to understand better the impact of this situation. Um, however, I think um, teams, especially teams like ours, where we have a little bit more of manpower, we could also keep an eye on, on new deals and keeping on investing and keeping on um, following the conversations and the relationships that we had already in place, as well as also looking for other new opportunities. So for instance, um, to, to, to give numbers, because that's also, uh, I think, the best way to describe it. We closed four deals during this period. All of them were obviously relationships that we had before, but that did close during this period. Two of those deals, uh, we, we did gave the term sheet just right before the lockdowns and we honor them. And then we extended a term sheet during this period as well. So I think like none of that was usual, if we want to call it that way, but I think we did remain open for business. Super. Well, yeah, I can I can see the proof. Uh, we'll come to the details of, of that in just a minute. And Fred, I want to hear about Stride. What what was the reaction from you guys? Um, well, the, f the first thing we did is really uh, go sit down with our founders and, and very quickly try and figure out um, how they were adapting company by company, even before we made any any kind of recommendations or choices about how to run their businesses. And what we found out um, was that there was a lot of detailed work that needed to be done. So, for example, changing contractual terms to adapt. Uh, in the case of a couple of companies, really rethinking positioning and sales messaging, uh, really from the brand all the way down to you know how they pitch. And um, so, I think early on we sort of assessed that because we're a small team, you know, we, we're very artisan. 
uh, we said, you know, we need to be fully focused on our founders and on our teams right now and spend the requisite time with them. And on top of that, um, I was stunned by the speed of developments. And I think at the beginning we had just really very limited clarity as to, for example, whether we'd have a credit crisis on our hand on top of a, a humanitarian and economic crisis. So we actually took formally took a pause. <clears throat> And um, the idea was to tell founders, hey, we don't want to waste your time. We understand time is your most valuable asset besides cash. Um, and so for about eight weeks, we were effectively off market um, and and very deliberately so. Um, since then, we've uh, we actually made two investments uh, that have closed in April. Um, one of them was really full remote and, and uh, you know, an opportunity that we hadn't seen before. Uh, the other one, we had actually met one of the founders once, but, you know, met the rest of the team remotely, so kind of half remote. And, um, you know, we run those processes quite differently, but actually uh, we're seeing pretty high quality deal flow and very excited about what we see right now. So I would say that uh, tech uh, looks encouraging. Super. Well, that's really good to hear. And obviously, we're going to get a chance to talk about how investing has actually evolved with the crisis. Um, but you mentioned something and Kaya kind of touched on it as well. And it's really about helping these portfolio companies first. And that was like the initial reaction from a lot of different funds. Um, but what was the main advice that you would say you were giving to portfolio companies? Kaya, do you want to start? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very much in line with what Brad was saying before. Um, I think the first thing really was understanding in what side of this whole situation this company particularly was. So um, some of them have been very negatively impacted and some others have been, have been positively impacted from a growth perspective. But however, they had to manage that growth. Right. So I think that the first thing was really to understand that there wasn't like a key message you can share across the portfolio. Um, but I think, for example, when it comes to SaaS, um, one of the key things was really understanding the, the client risk um, we had in the different, for example, say verticals, and really understanding uh, that and then what is the growth strategy we want to have, growth, quote unquote, in that sense, which is, um, do we want to focus a lot more on retention and making sure those customers are using the tools in the way they should be using it and using it a lot and, and you know, like making sure they're not going to churn tomorrow um, versus like, can we maybe focus on new business because this situation can help um, for some tools? Uh, if you think, for example, again, in communication about communication and then. The other, the other thing is whether this could help also um, doing some upsell in some of those uh, customers we already had. Um, I think overall, when talking to other investors, there is a, there's been a, a big focus in extending the runway, uh, which I think is something that has come as obvious and, and I think a, a bit conservative because we cannot forget that we still don't know the impact of this crisis, nor how long it's going to be. And as as Fred was saying before, whether there can be a little bit of a credit crunch uh, at some point or not, like a liquidity crunch at some point or not. So I think we're still very early to know really the impact of, of what's happening. Um, but yeah, I think I think the first thing was really, really trying to understand as far as we can, because it's hard, uh, what is the real impact of, of this situation in each particular business? It's very hard to generalize. Super. And Fred, was it kind of very similar for you? Well, I think that um, we're a little bit early, earlier stage in most of our portfolio than Borderton, and uh, a decent proportion of our founders are very young, first-time founders. Some of them university dropouts and you know <laughs> profiles like that. And uh, what I found was the first discussion we had with the founders and the teams was one of, I guess, mental attitude to the crisis. So literally, just sitting down and going look, there's going to be anxiety around your team and anxiety that's driven by outside forces. You know, help people recognize when that happens. Uh, make an inventory of how everybody's working. You know, do they have kids? Uh, do they have the right place to work? Are they equipped properly? Um, and then decide, be very deliberate about how you're going to maintain social fabric. Um, and, and, and then for the founders themselves, you know, it's a, it's a tough place because they kind of have to be a ray of sunshine for the team. Uh, but at the same time, they're the ones having to look at making hard decisions such as cutting costs or just the general uncertainty of living with this crisis. So, uh, we talked quite a lot about 
just emotional resilience and how, you know, hardship can shape you or you can decide that, you know, how you're going to, how you're going to become a better, better person, better CEO through hardship. And sort of having these sets of conversations first, and then we get into, uh, I guess, trying to, under, you know, trying to do diagnostics at a, the deepest possible level that we could, because the, the key difficulty with this crisis is, as Kaye uh, aptly said, we don't know how long and how deep it's going to be. And then you're having to make operational trade-offs that can, um, that can put your business at risk from an operational standpoint. So you may have to operate with fewer people. You may have to refocus uh, hard on certain areas and delay parts of your roadmap or even kill part of your product line or whatever it may be. So I think that we, we spent a fair amount of time doing that. And part of the mindset that we put ourselves in and our founders in was to say, don't worry about hitting forecast. Don't worry about you know anything outside of making the right decisions. So there's a few big decisions you need to make right now. Let's make the right ones together. And then make sure that your team is equipped to function. Um, it's one thing to read how to operate remotely and to go see the GitLab blog and adopt, try and adopt best practice. It's quite a different thing to live it day to day. And, you know, conflicts come up. Some people get depressed and, 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 and fall off. Some people have just difficulty working because they have young children. I mean, it's kind of unique cases. So you have to manage everybody one by one. So that's, that's where we focus, first of all. Super. I think there's a great mix in both your responses between kind of the, the very strategic and also the very human uh, approaches to handling the situation. Um, before we go to the investments, I actually want to touch on Fred. One of your almost immediate reactions was to warn entrepreneurs about the kind of VC barbarians. Um, and you wrote a great post about essentially what could happen, what could be some of the practices that we could see VCs fall into given the, the crisis. Um, for listeners who maybe didn't read your post, could you first just give us a background on what that post was about? Well, I have lived through a couple of crises and I have seen through the crises, sometimes for legitimate reasons, that uh, terms tend to harden. Um, and some of the terms uh, can be very damaging to, to founders' equity positions or even as to how companies are run. So the classic example would be the return of the full ratchet anti-dilution, which effectively means, for example, if you ever were to raise money at a valuation that's below the cash you've raised, uh, the founder equity mathematically gets wiped out to zero. So I think the industry has moved on in really good ways. And I think people have moved away from, from these types of terms, which used to be fairly routine. However, I was hearing noises in the market that some people were coming back with aggressive ratchets, uh, with warrants uh, and stuff like that. And my objective was only to really give founders the tools to understand what was being negotiated um, and not not get called flat-footed in these negotiations. So it was more it was meant to be an education piece. Now, of course, you know I want to capture some traffic, so we put barbarians in the title. It's always, <laughs> um, it's always more uh, you know catchy than, uh, than than saying review of key VC terms, right? But uh, I do think we are seeing some of that come back. I've heard anecdotally uh, that there is uh, as the balance of power shifts that some of that is coming back. My personal view, by the way, is that it is a giant waste of time. Uh, at the scale of a portfolio of venture capital, say you have 25 or 30 companies in a fund, it, there is no real value to be derived uh, on a scale that makes any impact to the return of a, of a fund. And you're much better off keeping extremely clean terms, trying to put uh, companies in position where they can execute well. And, you know, it's always the big winners that drive the outcomes anyway. And the rest is just brain damage for everybody around the table. So my personal view is very much aligned with that. And, you know, we keep certainly on our side, uh, and I know Boulderton does the same, but we have extremely clean term sheets and we, and we stick to clean terms even through a crisis, I would say even more so through a crisis. Yeah, I think it's great that you uh, you kind of gave entrepreneurs a bit of a heads up. And obviously, I'm not going to ask you to call anybody out, but you were warning about this because you actually observed it. You actually had some kind of very concrete evidence that it was happening. Yeah, so we had uh, some um, we had some investments that were renegotiated by brute force that I heard of firsthand. Um, I don't, by the way, have a problem if you have to sit down with an investor and say your market, say you're in travel or whatever, and your market's been destroyed and we have to sit down and, you know, probably each take a little bit of pain in terms of 
renegotiating some of the terms. I think what happens is, you know, what has happened is VC will call the entrepreneur overnight or message them and say, by the way, valuations are half um, and we want performance warrants. And, you know, so I've heard a couple of stories like that firsthand and uh, from some of the, uh, the the folks who run incubators and accelerators, noises that this had been uh, not common, but you know it happened more than twice, right? So I'm like, okay, you know, I I don't like I don't like the the, the sound of that. So let's just put best foot forward and try and try and help everybody understand what could be coming down the pipe. Very interesting, Kaya. Did you hear about anything similar? The thing that I've heard the most of is valuation review. So when all the market kind of went down so dramatically and stayed that way for maybe two or three weeks, um, during that period, a few VC funds might have gone back and tried to review valuation. And uh, I, I do agree with Fred that when the situation has dramatically changed and impacted maybe a lot of particular industry, I could see how that conversation can happen. But fundamentally, uh, a term sheet, the way we look at it is is our word and we must honor that. So, um, you know, I, I haven't seen that much on the on the terms that, that Fred was referring to in the article, uh, but mostly, yeah, uh, straight valuation review uh, that, that has happened. And and I think I completely agree with, with um, what Fred was saying. And I think a lot of those um, kind of tricky terms that some investors might push for ultimately are also negative for the investor itself. Because if you then have to raise another round and you go to, say, the US and, and, and the Silicon Valley, and there is where standard terms are really a thing very often so. And having some of those kind of tricky ter- terms uh, in already in place is actually negative for everybody to get the next fundraise in and so on and so forth. So those plain vanilla term sheets um, are s- becoming more and more common over everywhere and, and particularly in Europe now. Uh, so I really hope that that is not an excuse for going back to those kind of worse terms or tricky terms that some founders might not know of and might not really understand the, the impact because it's the first time the fundraise. Um, so, yeah, I, I fully agree with, with Fred's warnings, and I think it was great you, you put it out there. Super. Yeah, I think the barbarians hopefully got so much attention that now entrepreneurs are fully aware of what could happen. Um, but let's turn now to the different investments that you guys made uh, during the, the crisis and during confinement. So I think, Kai, you said Balderton actually made four deals, too, that were potentially already in negotiation and an additional two. Um, I think even one of them was a Station F alum called PlayPlay Play that does a video creation tool. So tell tell me about the different deals that you guys did. Sure. Um, so of the four we closed, we've only announced three. Um, one of them is Primer a- API out of the UK, and they want to simplify payments for really any company that sells online. Uh, whatever you sell. And it's super interesting. It's actually earlier for us in terms of stage, uh, but we believe that the the problem they're solving is so big and the team was really excellent. So we went ahead and, and did that deal um, in the UK. Another one we've announced um, is VanMove. So this company does amazing electric uh, um, bicycles. I recommend everyone to check it out because they're truly cool. Um, me, myself, sadly, I have to admit that I'm not a good cycler. But even so, now I'm really considering getting one because I absolutely love the product. Um, and we, we're very happy to have joined this journey because we think the market momentum is, is fantastic. The team, again, um, is absolutely amazing. They know the supply chain inside out. And um, and we we believe that having more of those companies um, well capitalized can really help that consumer shift towards more um, kind of eco-friendly ways of, of living and commuting. So, so that's another one. Um, the founders are out of the Netherlands. And then the other one we've announced, you were saying, is PlayPlay. Play. So we're also super excited to join uh, PlayPlay's journey. Uh, and I think this one is also a great example of uh, very long-term relationship that we have been nurturing over the, the month. So we've been following them for almost two years. Uh, we got to meet Thibault after they they uh, raised their seed. 
with point nine and Kerala. And uh, we really like him uh, and the rest of the team and, and the vision mostly. And it's it's really great to see how during those almost two years uh, they've been executed, executing in everything they wanted to execute on. And and the vision has only shaped in, I mean, remains the same, but has been shaping in a way that it makes even more sense. The product has evolved in a phenomenal way. And for those of you who don't know uh, what Play Play does, because I've been talking about that for maybe a minute already and haven't haven't uh, really explained what they do. Um, it's the simpler way to create a really cool video. So if you think of today video becoming the best way to communicate in any way externally and internally for any enterprise, um, that's, that's a fact and we all realize that. However, the thing is and the challenge is that making a video is actually quite hard. And especially if you want to make a video that looks good and really tells the story you want to tell. And um, that's what Play Play is helping you. And even myself, uh, that I'm not the most creative uh, person, I managed to do Play Plays that were like really, really cool in just a few minutes. Um, and the use cases are super broad. You go, um, they go all the way from external communication, so maybe more marketing focus, to uh, internal communication that is becoming more and more important to all of those uh, enterprise clients. So um, those could be like anything in HR from onboarding to training to, you know, like anything related to employer branding, um, finance communication. So you name it really, like any way, in any possible way, companies uh, communicate internally. So, so yeah. Great. Well, I think we want to see your play plays. Um, <laughs> but actually, tell me, how did confinement actually impact the way that you guys made these deals at Bolton? Did they change anything at all? Um, so, frankly, for those deals, um, as I said, two of them we had already uh, offered a, a term sheet right before the crisis. So, um, it didn't really change that much after that. We honored those term sheets, then we had to do the DD after the due diligence after that. Um, and no, I don't think it, it was a tremendous change. I think one of those um, other, one of those those deals. I think the process changed slightly, the way we interact and so on between uh, the partnership and 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 the, the investment team overall and the founders. So for us, um, I think it hasn't been like a dramatic impact for those because, as I said, um, there were companies we kind of knew in some shape or form before. Um, but we are realizing that there's some things that have been changing, right, over this this time. As I said before, there is nothing normal about this period. Um, and I do believe that the process might take a little bit longer in some instances. Not all the time, but sometimes it might take a little bit longer, simply because um, doing early stage, we do invest in teams, right? And, and obviously in founders, but also in the team they've built around them. And therefore, why I think it's slightly more challenging to do this fully remote for us, because having that level of conviction and really knowing the team and, you know, what you can solve by just going to the office and going back to play play, like you go into that office and the vibe you, you have and what you feel about the team is just absolutely amazing. And it's so much harder to replicate that when when you are on Zoom, right? So in the one hand, us as investors, we need to be better at you know, adapting to that. And I think also founders have had to adapt and be able to pitch in a maybe more adapt, kind of adaptive way to this situation, if I'm making any sense. So, so I think that has been a little bit of an ad adaptation we've all had to do. Yeah, and I've I've heard other investors kind of talk about that as well. That you kind of you can't replicate and see everything on Zoom. Um, but there are some investors that have gotten around that and done full remote deals. And actually, Fred, I think if I'm not mistaken, you guys actually did too. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about? I know you guys were kind of closed or heads down in portfolio management, so maybe a little bit less concentrated on new deals. But making two remote deals is is quite something. So tell us about that. Yeah, so there are two, I would say there are two primary changes that we've made. Um, number one is we talk about different things, actually. So we will very quickly go into, hey, where did you grow up? And what was your life like? And, you know, why are you doing this? What are your long-term aspirations? And the type of things that maybe we did less of before, because I think we relied on, you know, the kind of feel you get out of someone. And now we're being quite explicit about talking about our, 
our philosophy, their philosophy of, you know, even life. Um, and that's a way effectively of kind of hacking your way to better knowledge of someone is kind of being explicit in the process. The second thing I would say is that actually our speed has increased. Um, and that is not something I necessarily expected, but we don't have to travel. Um, we run, uh, we've changed our process in the sense that, you know, we now ask questions over email before we take a first Zoom. The first Zoom is half an hour long. Um, so we process everything much quicker uh, with more intent. Uh, one thing that will surely destroy your brain is to be on Zoom calls for 10 hours a day. It is absolutely awful. So actually our objective is to take fewer, better meetings. And so we've, we flipped our process or so changed our process in ways that entrepreneurs seem to find totally acceptable so that we could be faster with more intent on fewer things. And one of these remote investments um, you know, happened over the span of five days because we did, we, we, I saw the deck and literally within five minutes, I was like, I love this. Harry felt the same way. The, the two founders were super credible. And then we ran, um, I believe we ran seven meetings in four days. It was like morning, afternoon, different topic, boom, 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 you know, uh, from Thursday to offer on Monday. And actually, we covered quite a lot of ground because of going into this deep personal stuff. And we asked people before, it's like, are you okay to talk about things that are, you know, <laughs> slightly unusual? So you kind of ask for permission uh, and people are very willing to share. And so that one, that one was fast. Uh, there was competitive pressure, which, of course, is always a factor. Uh, but I found that overall, we have more intent, less time wasted and actually quite a lot of velocity around how we operate uh, in a way because of, of being forced uh, to operate remotely. Very interesting. So that could be one way to get around uh, Kaya's kind of, uh, which I totally can relate to, like desire to actually see where people work, see how people behave. So I'm wondering then, just given kind of both your opinions on on remote uh, investing and investing in these kind of confinement conditions, what where is this going long term? Do you actually think investors are going towards a, a different way of doing deals, a more remote way, a more efficient way? Is something going to change or do you think that this is just temporary? Fred, I'll start with you. I, I think the answer is both. I, I have a feeling, I have a belief that in the midst of a crisis like this, people have trouble imagining that the world will go back to quote-unquote normal um, and, and that we tend to overstate uh, the extent to which things change and I do think they will drift back to some form of normality. So I'm not expecting dramatic changes in process. One of the big issues we have, by the way, is that the best way to catch COVID is to be in a closed environment with 10 people for a few hours. There's way more risk going to church and singing or going to the office with your colleagues than there is, you know, crossing a, a heavily breathing runner in the park. So that is clearly an unsolved issue, which is how do we get people back into confined spaces whilst protecting their health? Um, but having said that, I think there's, there's going to be a fair amount of return to normal. What I do like is this kind of new social norms now, which is, it is perfectly fine for me. You send me, I get a warm intro to a company. Uh, so something that's qualified, you know, I'll reply with a set of three key questions. I might send a second set of three key questions and the founders on the other side are like, yeah, okay, you know, that's fair. They don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time. And so these kind of changing social norms, I think do help us be more effective and more efficient instead of having this, you know, the disease of venture capital is 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 meeting itis, right? Where you, you, you do 10 meetings a day and you don't have time to think or work uh, because all you do is meet. And you could spend years working in venture capital doing exactly that. And so I find that interesting, this kind of being more intentful about where and how you spend your time. I think it's actually a valuable addition that we are learning from the crisis. Super. And Kaye, how do you feel about long-term? I agree with almost everything Fred has said. He couldn't have put it better. I, I think, um, indeed, we will go back to some type of normality. How long that will take, I'm really unsure. I wish I knew all of those answers. But um, I think it might change slightly the way everyone works in, in some ways, though, um, which is, for example, exactly what Fred was saying, like whether you um, ask upfront some of the questions more often and that is not a bad thing you know or whether you take a first zoom call rather than an in-person meeting because you don't want to cross the whole city to do a first in-person meeting also from 
it's silly, but from a sustainability standpoint, how much we travel and the impact that that's, that, that has, I think people are becoming more and more aware of that. So um, not only just the job per se, but what we've learned through the crisis uh, and the, the ways we have tried to be um, efficient in, in some ways, I think will change. Now, I think we all also, I mean, most of the people I talk to do also miss that human interaction and what I was saying before, which is how much kind of information in a good way you can get out of an in-person meeting. And, and there is no way you can really cover that. So um, I'm sure we will go back to that kind of normality that will be somehow modified, hopefully for the better. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think we all might be all overreacting with this idea that, well, we've been working remotely for two and a half months and it works really well and I've been super efficient so I can go and now live out of the countryside. Well, some people might be able to, but I think a lot of people, that might not be the best the best um, thing going forward. Now, I think what, what we're going to see more and more is this idea of distributed teams for some of the companies um, early stage. And we're seeing more and more, we've always seen some of those, but I think those past um, couple of months, it feels, or maybe because we're just more aware, uh, which might also impact how we perceive things, but uh, it feels that the founders are more open to those structures and that that can be something that we need to be a bit more mindful of uh, when, when looking at companies to potentially invest. And um, for example, uh, I think Fred, you guys have a more of a geographic approach to, to invest in, and we do too, to a certain extent, when we think of like, pan-European uh, companies or, or founders. And the, and the thing is that some of those companies now might be remote. So you might have one of the founders based out of Portugal and making this app and some of the team based in the US. And, and I think all of that is going to be different and really exciting and interesting as well. Very interesting. So yeah, that kind of leads me to, to my next topic, which is essentially how is this impacting deal flow and the types of startups that you guys are getting in touch with now? Um, despite the fact that a lot of funds actually have announced fresh capital to invest in Europe not too long ago, within the last six months, we've seen tons of funds that have kind of announced uh, these kinds of things. I'm still hearing tons of entrepreneurs that are pretty reluctant to fundraise. They don't know, is it a good time to get in touch with VCs? Are VCs interested in having a conversation? Should they wait until September, until next year? Um, so how are you guys seeing impacts on deal flow? And not just in terms of quality, but also in terms of maybe the types of startups and, and big, big changes that you're noticing on maybe a larger scale. Fred, what are you noticing? Well, the... Maybe to take the second part of your question first. So our adjustment has been very simple, which is we um, have made a fairly deliberate choice to move a little bit earlier. Um, and there are always exceptions to the rule, but you know, one of the teams we backed is six months away from first MVP uh, and probably 15 to 18 months away from commercialization, whereas typically we've gone post-product. So a very logical adaptation is you just take things that take longer to build so that, you know, you will be in a good position by the time we come out of the crisis. So that that's a simple adaptation for a seed fund to go a little bit earlier. The difficulty for founders right now is the reality is that the bar is extremely high. So if you're a business that's predicated on any form of growth that you can't substantiate and we people have to take a serious leap of faith or you know you're going through some choppy waters or getting very mixed messages back for market um, it is incredibly hard for these companies to get funded and so it is a logical response to say you know what i'll figure it out with the people around the table let's not go burn ourselves in a uh, relatively unwelcoming vc market right now let's just go execute and build some value and i think that is a rational response if you think deal volumes are going to be down, say, 50%, you know, whether the market's open or not is kind of an academic question because if half the money has gone out, you, know, you might be on the list of 50 people who don't get funded. So for all intents and purposes, the market is closed. Um, we have definitely seen a very high quality deal flow. So it's, I would say that I think any company that's in doubt or weak or really impacted has kind of tried to figure it out on their own. And the stuff that's coming out right now is pretty strong. And so the the talk of the haves and the have-nots is absolutely true. 
uh, one of the investments that we made is a team that uh, apparently received 10 term sheets which is insane right so so all the best funds fighting over it some funds from the US uh, you know really intense uh, competition because you know they're fit for purpose in a covid world because they've got quite a long runway before uh, they start uh, ramping up burn etc so it's kind of a perfect asset for the kind of market that we're in super kaya are you guys seeing the same thing super high quality deal flow and 10 term sheets per deal and that kind of thing not in all of the companies i have to say <laughs> um no so so to be completely honest here at the beginning i think um, most of us saw a big drop in the deal flow. And we're talking, when talking to other um, early stage investors, and I'm talking mostly here from my own personal experience um, out of like the Southern European ecosystem, uh, we all kind of agreed that the quantity of, of deals had gone down. And I think there's two main drivers for that. Um, number one is as we were discussing before, potential impact on valuation. So if you could wait a little bit and have more visibility on that, then you would wait. And secondly, those companies that had already fundraised either pre-seed or seed round uh, had investors on board who kind of suggested to wait a bit longer to have a little bit more visibility. So those two things together and the fear to end up running a process that would be longer than what it should be on average, obviously, um, then I think made a lot of founders be more willing to wait and maybe not accelerate growth as much or not accelerate growth at all, or even maybe just focus on product and be like, well, I'm at that stage where I'm completely pre-series A. Uh, I was thinking of go to market at the minute, uh, but now I'm going to focus more on product. I'm not going to do all of those hires so I can extend my runway, have a little bit more visibility and then go to the market. And I have seen a lot of that talking to founders, as, as I said before, like we like having that super long term relationship. So um, the the reaction has been very often to just wait and see a little bit. Um, that said, I I agree that I think all of the super great companies will be able to fundraise no matter when, right? Um, and Fred has given a, a very good example of having term, term, 10 term sheets. And similarly, some of the of those companies we've, we've invested in also had several term sheets, right? So, um, and that was in a period where there was a lot of uncertainty and uh, a lot of people might not have been willing to invest as much and so on. But I think all the the investors are very much aware that in those times of crisis and kind of uncertainty, it's also where you can find some of the greatest opportunities. And and therefore why I think like, it's never a useless conversation anyways. Like, of course it's useless if there is nothing to, to really talk about. Um, but I think it's also a good time to, to build those relationships, uh, both with founders and with investors at this, at this particular point. And I think indeed funds keep on investing and both Fred and, and I are sharing that perspective, right? Which is like, we've remained very active. We understand that the market is challenging, but we still want to make great deals uh, throughout this, this period. Um, and, and yeah, so, so that, that was a bit like the first couple of months. I think now already for the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing an acceleration in activity, frankly, um, which is really good to, to see as well, because it feels like some people are a bit more optimistic. Um, also that, you know, they figure kind of, quote unquote, they figure it out a little bit more what the strategy is, is going to be like. And, and I think the big question that remains is how, as investors, we will judge uh, in the good sense of judge, quote unquote, again, um, this period, like in one year's time, when you're a Series A investor or even Series B plus, how do you look at at, at destruction during this period? What is good, you know? And and I think uh, that is going to be also a very interesting exercise that we will have to go through, maybe very differently than what um, Strike will have to go through, especially as you might go a little bit earlier, um, Fred, but. But I think that's also an interesting thing that we need to be very much aware of in the next coming month. 
Yeah, we should have you guys back in one year to talk about looking back and what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love I love the fact, Kaya, that you've also highlighted that it is a good time to still connect with uh, investors and that you are starting to see a momentum pick up. I want to end on kind of one note that you've both hinted at but haven't quite answered completely full on. What are the kinds of companies that you're particularly interested in right now? Are you going for really companies that have started to see traction pick up during the crisis or that they're, you know, they're maintaining kind of a, a business or any idea goes kind of where, where are you really putting your energy right now? Kai, I'm going to start with you. So we, we like uh, being a sector agnostic fund and we've always been uh, very open to every single vertical and every single industry. And we want to remain doing the same. Um, I think that's the that's kind of the beauty of venture is that you don't know what is going to be the next industry you can reinvent. So we keep our eyes open around everything. I think, of course, there's some industries where you can see a lot more traction. And I think the challenge here is not to just be um, kind of blown away by that traction, but really to understand how much of that behavior is going to be sustainable over time, how much of it is something that is happening now versus a real adoption by humans of a new type of way of doing things, you know. Um, and, and I think that's something that, that is important to keep in mind. Um, I think like anything that is regarding communication and productivity those days, um, kind of everyone is looking at it. But I do also believe that we've been looking at that for a while already uh, internally, and we keep on thinking is is really interesting. Then there's other things where I think it's it's important to keep to keep on keeping an eye on, uh, which is a lot of the new ways of e-commerce and the new consumer um, behaviors that will arise from from this crisis. But then you might think also like, okay, mobility has been impacted potentially badly through this crisis, but we did invest in BAMMOVE because mobility in other ways have been really positively impacted, not by the crisis, but the whole kind of consumer new behaviors and the, the way um, people want to live their lives those days, right? So that's why I think, and I, I don't like to pinpoint some sectors more than others, um, simply because I do really believe that it Great companies can come from anywhere um, in the world, in any sector, in any background. And, and that's why we want to keep our eyes open everywhere. Super. Doesn't scale it down at all, but I'll take it. <laughs> Fred, <laughs> Fred let's, uh, let's hear your thoughts on this. So I think it's really important to avoid uh, thinking in formulaic ways about what a crisis like this does to the market. Um, for example, Kazoo, one of our portfolio companies, um, you know, which uh, from the founder of Zoopla, which I'd seeded and seeded Kazoo again, they sell secondhand cars. And so accepted wisdom would be, oh, the secondhand car market is going to get destroyed because uh, disposable incomes are down. But then what people forget is there are 7 million secondhand cars getting sold in the UK every year. Um, the whole new car infrastructure is effectively at a standstill. And a lot of people don't want to take public transport. So here we have a company that in the midst of uh, coronavirus is doing really well, and it's kind of counterintuitive. So we are, as a fund, we say proudly anti-thematic, um, and our job actually is to be extremely mentally plastic to whatever people come up with. Now, I always joke that there's nothing more boring than asking VCs about trends because we all say the same stuff, right? Remote learning, remote work, e-commerce, you know, it's like, it's like logically you're going to end up with the same four thematics that everybody talks about. And I think as Kaya correctly identified, if you're building a remote work company, most of these have been built in the last five to eight years and you should be KKR doing growth investing and anointing the winners in the same way that, for example, Index went in hard on Notion. And so these companies, the winners are already emerging. So the question is, okay, so what's next on the horizon? Um, and and our job is not to find that. I mean, we have to be aware of the future, but our job is really um, is really quite different. Our job is to be able to listen to founders who are so much better at finding where the opportunities are and not applying pattern recognition and not applying accepted wisdom and thinking with a very open mind. And you know, I think for me, this kind of keeping intellectual freshness is the key to is the key to success in our business. And so I 
don't want to answer that question because I want founders to come and surprise me with the amazing insights that they're developing and which I did not expect to see. Wow, I love that. I want to end on that note because I don't think it could be any more positive and kind of <laughs> inspirational. Kaya, Fred, I want to thank you both for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you Roxanne. That was great. So now we've had a chance to catch up with Kaya and Fred on a number of different aspects of VC activity, impact of COVID, uh, new terms or barbaric terms, what it looks like to be investing during confinement um, and deal flow. Now we want to get a little bit more into remote investing. All right. And now I'm joined by Hussein Kanji from Hoxton Ventures. Hussein, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Super. Well, let's get right into it. We want to talk about remote investing. Um, and yes, it is possible. You have done it. So we're not talking about entrepreneurs that you knew or even met prior, but actually people that you've invested in 100% remotely. So tell us about it. How many deals have you done like this? What does it look like? And uh, did Hoxton lead the rounds? Yeah. So um, so we're on our third deal uh, that is entirely virtual which is busy for us. Uh, we don't normally do even that many deals, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a quarter. Um, so, so, but they were all very interesting and kind of high quality. Uh, so that was our, our view. So um, we were, we were excited to, to kind of write, you know, to write the check and then make the commitment. I think we've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work. I think we're doing a lot more referencing than we ever did before just to get to know uh, founders and get to know the the people around the founders than, than we would normally do. But, you know, even though we've never met them in person, because we're all kind of under our extended house arrest and in, in lockdown right now, uh, playing our part, uh, we feel pretty bullish on, on what the teams are doing and, and, and who the founders are. Super. So three uh, virtual deals, essentially, what actually changes? You've kind of hinted on the fact that maybe you don't really get to interact with people or discover them in the same way. Um, you've talked about a little bit doing more background checks, but tell me, like, when you actually start, initiate, you know, discussion with the founders, walk me through it. What actually changes in the whole process? So, so you know, you, you, never meet, you, you never meet them in person and we do a lot of Zooms or meetups or, you know, teams, but, but you know, you've never really physically met. Uh, so it's hard to kind of look someone, you know, in their eye and, and, and get a sense, you know, you, you, you never get a chance to see their office or, or see the team that they've assembled um, and, and kind of walk around and get a feel for the place. But, you know, we're, we're very early investors. Um, so, you know, there's really not that much uh, on those dimensions when we're writing the check, although it is something that we often do. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, for us getting to an agreement, because, you know, you can think about it, what a negotiated, uh, what a negotiation could look like. And, and a negotiation can be tricky and doing, you know, it's, it's, easier to do those things, quite frankly, face to face, where you can read the body language a little bit better and kind of come to a consensus on what works, what doesn't work. But, you know, you figure out how to adapt to the modality and and work work against the constraints that you have. You know, we're pretty optimistic that there, there's still big businesses to be built. I mean, time, you know, history shows us that, you know, in, in even in recessionary times, and I think we will end up in some kind of recession, you know, businesses do get built, and sometimes they're, they're some of the more valuable businesses that get built. Uh, there are a number of companies in the tech industry that were built and started during the bad times or, or that scaled during the bad times uh, in, in their early days. So, so you know, we're, we're still pretty optimistic about what the future looks like. But, but you do have to, you have to fill in the gaps that you, don't, that you have when you, you don't get time to, to meet the people face-to-face -face, uh, and, and kind of see what kind of teams have kind of built around themselves. Super. So I'm actually curious to see what's your reaction to this. There's actually obviously a lot of people who are really thrilled about um, doing remote deals and people think that it's going to pan out long term. There are other people who are pissed because they say investors have been saying for so long, remote deals are not possible. This is a people business. I'm wondering where do you stand on that? So if we if we had the choice, we would much rather meet people face to face. You know, we'd rather travel to go see them at their offices. We'd rather spend you know a little bit of time with them in a social setting, in addition to kind of a time with them in a in a business setting, just to get to know them as individuals. So what we're doing right now is 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 not ideal, but it is entirely possible. And, and you know, to be fair, as much as people will say these kinds of things, we've seen 
rounds get done, you know, usually kind of where, where investors have tagged along versus necessarily leading, but we've seen people invest, you know, more blind uh, in the past. So, you know, if there's a great company and there's a great set of founders and you know something is rushing and you don't have the ability to, you know, to fly somewhere or to train somewhere to go see them, we've certainly seen people you know, make make the hard decision and, and, and choose to invest in the past. So I think it's disingenuous to say people have never done this in the past. But you know, if given the choice, I would much rather go back to the older way where you're you're getting you're getting more quality time uh, with, with the person that you're investing in than the people around that person that you're investing in. So does that mean that Hoxton is viewing this really as something temporary and that you guys are going to come back perhaps to doing more traditional format deals in the future? Yeah, yeah. So our our view is our view is that you know venture is one of these businesses where you're you're taking a forward view, and if the if a great company walks in through the door, you are far more you're far worse off non investing than investing. Uh, so even in these kind of suboptimal conditions, you know if. You know, we've been pretty fortunate. I mean, we have a very high percentage of unicorns in our fund uh, for 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 newer or earlier stage funds. You know, but if if the next Deliveroo or the next Dark Trace or the next Babylon walks in through the door virtually and you don't write the check, that's way worse for you as an investor. And you know, I think all three of the companies that we've done, you know, we're we're pretty convinced uh, have the makings of something great. And, and not doing that is just too expensive on our side. So, you know, because of that, you, you, you learn to adapt, uh, you know, you become, you, you become evolutionary. Um, and because the alternative is you don't do it and, and, and not doing it just quite frankly, costs us too much money if those things actually work out and turn out and, and we're right about our gut that those things turn out to be big businesses. So I, I think a lot of venture folks, you know, with all due respect to them, a lot of them are very lemming oriented where, where they follow the crowd and they don't kind of, you know, it's really easy to say we're conviction oriented and we kind of make our own decisions, but it's a lot easier to do exactly what everyone else is doing. That's why you see, you know, one scooter company, then two scooter companies and like a scooter company in every single geography, because that feels a lot safer to say I did this because so-and-so did this as well we've always been contrarian and kind of, we kind of do our own thing. We really don't care what the rest of the world thinks about us. You know, our job is to find these kinds of companies to, you know, write the check, get out of their way and try and be as helpful as possible. And in our view is, you know, one of those comes and, you know, ends up on a zoom call with us, you know, and when we think it's going to be great, we're going to write the check. Super. I, I couldn't help but smile at your kind of idea that VCs behave as lemmings. I thought that was hilarious. Um, can definitely see what you're getting. At. And I also love the fact that you guys, I mean, from what I'm hearing, it really sounds like it's kind of been a, a bit of an agile move for, for you at Hoxton, um, kind of adapting to this, hoping to go back to something in the future, but really just trying to kind of evolve with the current situation. Um, I'm wondering if you think that this is actually part of a bigger discussion around uh, kind of redesigning the whole VC experience, or do you think that in the long term, the VC experience will more or less remain the same? Yeah. So again, I mean, we're, we're a little bit odd in, in the sense of how we think about the world. So, you know, we think the 1970s model or the 1980s model of venture works perfectly fine. You know, it, these are small partnerships that kind of make a call not on, on what to do. You know, the, the, the hard part about this business isn't the, isn't the stuff in the window dressing that people put around the around the firm it, it's about you know if something great walks in through the door do you have the judgment to be willing to write the check and then if that thing is great can you be helpful and supportive on the journey and, and that journey is almost always a long journey it's very rare that these things happen kind of overnight you know can you can you be supportive and be a constructive partner along the journey yeah you know, everything else to some degree is like, it, it's kind of marketing around around that kind of core basis, right? So if you decide you're gonna be a full services type of firm, you know, I, I understand why Andreessen did it. Andreessen did it because they wanted to be a top five firm in the Bay Area. The Bay Area's probably got 20 firms vying, maybe 30 firms vying for the top five slot. And if you wanna be different than everybody else, you can't really kind of do the same thing. So, you know, they took their, their management fees and invested that into building services for their entrepreneurs as a mechanism to to get you know to get those entrepreneurs to select them versus selecting Sequoia 
and they could afford to do that because, you know, Mark Andreessen and, and Ben Horowitz were, were wealthy individuals who didn't necessarily need uh, the paycheck or, or the, the management fee to go into their own pockets. So it was, it was worthwhile investing in that art, in that infrastructure around around the founder. And then what they did was they overpaid for deals. So when the great entrepreneur walked in, they not only overpaid, they also had this full service stack behind them. But, but you know, there's a very intentional logic towards doing that. If you want to be top five and you can't compete head to head with someone, you change the rules of the game. But the end of the day is this business still thrives on can you see the can you see the right company can you write the check at the right time now i think a lot of venture people unfortunately kind of end up believing in the marketing story and believing that that's kind of the mechanism you know this this model hasn't iterated all that much you know since the 70s and then there were great practi practitioners there and they're still great practitioners now and they all kind of follow you know loosely the same pattern you know, there will might there might come a time when someone like a social plus will you know build some kind of automated engine to do some kind of scoring and taking all the data you know the data that's available but some data science around it and, and turn that into an engine to figure out what what a great company looks like and you know maybe we should live in fear of, of the robots replacing us as ven as venture folks because quite honestly what we do isn't that hard if you could actually figure out you know what part is the art and what part's the science uh, we, we get to thrive because I think it looks more like an art, but you know a lot of things that look like an art sometimes get turned into a science. So maybe maybe the model will change, but you know in general I I think you know this is this is kind of an old-fashioned industry right, in terms of exactly how it kind of works. And you know the 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 really hard part is do you have good judgment at the end of the day to to write the check when when it when when you have the opportunity to write the check. Yeah, super interesting. You're absolutely right. I don't think we have seen too many funds really push the model beyond uh, a few small tweaks over over the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, and I, I liked your your kind of example and your justification of why that could have been the case for Andreessen. Um, so I'm going to actually wrap it up with this last question from somebody who's done some remote deals, giving advice to both investors and startups on what to expect if they are going to go into uh, kind of virtual fundraising? Does it mean writing a smaller check? Does it mean asking super personal questions over Zoom? What should people be prepared for? Um, no, so we, we've never done the super personal questions. I, I think we, we've definitely done more on the referencing side around the founders because, you know, you, you go to an office, you can have those kind of informal conversations, right? You meet someone who's on the team and you just pick up a casual conversation with them. And, and you know, you kind of get a sense for how the company thinks about stuff. You know, you, you, you get a sense for who they're kind of attracting. You know, it would be pretty difficult to do a, a series of Zoom calls and, and very formal and kind of stuffy uh, if, if you decide to do that. So you just lose that kind of naturalness that you would get if you, you know, you visited someone's office. So so we've had to kind of substitute in for, for that. So we've, we've done more referencing. You know, we've talked to a lot more people in the market who are, who are doing interesting things just to get more knowledgeable again. You know, you can you can you can end up at a coffee with someone, mention that you're working on something, and end up gleaming a bunch of insight because they might know something about that market, and they just you know volunteer it and talk to you again on a Zoom call without. It would be very formal if you asked a question. It's it's not like you have like a you know a scenario where you're both you know at the till you know getting yourself a coffee and you know just talking about random stuff except random might actually be you know really useful intel. So we've we've had to figure out how to plug those gaps in. Uh, and then the easiest way is just to, to, to talk more to more people and to force ourselves to do that. Uh, we have we have written smaller checks. I mean, and, and we've we've just decided in, in kind of a COVID world, we have the same issues that, that founders do because we have to raise our own funds. And, and being in Europe, I would argue kind of for us doing the deals has always been easy. Raising capital has always been really hard. That, that's been probably our biggest challenge as, as a firm on our side, um, even though our returns are probably probably among the best in Europe. It, it's not like there's a ton of LPs uh, in, in the European ecosystem. So we've intentionally decided to write, you know, we, we set up our, our last fund, it's about a hundred million dollar fund. And we're gonna write kind of one to $5 million tickets uh, as a result of that. We've decided we're gonna kind of more closely focus on the ones and the twos versus the threes and fours and fives. Because if we do the threes and fours and fives, you know, it's a lot more capital at risk, but also more importantly, we, we burn through our capital much faster. Um, so we'd, we'd rather probably, you know, write smaller checks, which also means that we're writing checks, you know, earlier in the life cycle of the company, uh, kind of what we did in our first fund more, more than what we were really kind of planning to do in our second fund as we raised a little bit more capital. But that gives us a little bit more runway uh, on our side to, to do more interesting things. And, you know, 
because we're investing a little bit more blind than, than, than normal, even though we think these are great companies, you know, we, we could be wrong. And if we're wrong, we don't want that, that to be so expensive on our side or so punitive on our side. So, so we are probably gearing towards, towards smaller checks. But on the whole, I would say most of our interactions over Zoom I mean, they're kind of like this. They're just conversations uh, and they're conversations. And, you know, we don't pretend to be the smartest people in the world. So, you know, we, we ask lots of stupid questions and we try and get up to speed with, 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 with what, you know, what the actual business is um, and try and get to kind of in a core level of understanding. Um, we've done them also pretty fast. So in one case, I think we made a decision in like, I think like a few days, maybe, maybe it was a week, but it was, it was, it was pretty darn fast. Uh, and, and the other one wasn't that much slower. I think when well, I think Rob, uh, my partner uh, saw it earlier and, and got excited. And I was just really jammed on something else. One of our companies went from a hundred million revenue run rate to like a 10 million revenue run rate uh, because of COVID. And so I was dealing with a bit of a crisis. And so I, I just, it was harder for me to schedule time because I was like full hands on deck trying to figure out how to rescue that company, which, which we did, uh, which is good. So it's, it's now capitalized until 2022. Um, everyone kind of reached into their pockets, but I, I was, I was really distracted. So I probably cost like an extra week or two. Um, the good news is, because the venture market, you know, is is a little bit scared of, of investing in kind of a COVID type world. It wasn't like there was someone, you know, coming and grabbing it off 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 of our plate, um, you know, and 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 doing the deal. So so we had a little bit more of a luxury of time. Although, you know, we we don't like being slow at these things. Like, you know, if we have conviction, we have conviction. We 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 tend to go faster. One of the deals that we did is a is a COVID test. So there's a ah. There's a, nice. it's really interesting. It's an antigen test. Um, so they can do an antigen test in, in under a minute. Um, and it costs about a buck 50. So, which wow. means that you can get tested for an infection, not, not to see if you have antibodies, like no, so not post-infection, like you mm. can, you can probably take a test like this and immediately off the plane and see if, you know, you got COVID, you know, wow. while you're on the plane. And so you can see why we think that's kind of a game changer, right? Especially in this kind of environment. So, you know, the tech was real. It took us a while to understand the science behind it. The tech is actually quite real. They have a manufacturing partner to, and it's a, it's a big name pharma company that they're working with to produce lots and lots of these tests, which is great. And so like, and then, you know, you have this backdrop of COVID, you know, it, 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 you can see like why there's merit towards writing the million pound check into this thing, regardless of what other people like. Yeah. There's Is a, this the one that happened in a week? Yeah, <laughs> this, this one, this one took a, this one took a couple of weeks because it took us a little bit of time to understand the science, um, mm -hmm. to, to know if there's like something really distinctive on the IP side. But you know, if, if, if we're right about this stuff and these guys are able to build a test by the end of the year, like maybe September and, you know, mass produce them and you'd have like, you know, maybe not real time, but like within a minute is pretty close to real time, you know, mm. ability to check whether you're infected or non-infected. This could be like an interesting size business. And there's no one else out there who has anything remotely like this that, that we're pretty sure about. It took us a long time to understand that, but, but there is some really distinctive science behind this. Um, you know, why would you, why would you want to wait? And like, it's only a million, it's only a million dollars. Like, why, why would you not want to write that? <laughs> I love that. The nature of venture is like, you're supposed to write that check. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, so, so it makes sense to do something like that. You, and, and, and COVID is a good backdrop for something like that. So, yeah. you know, so well, very that, that, cool. that's what we don't understand. Like if something like that comes through the door, you know, your job is to write checks into businesses like that. And, and you could validate that they had a manufacturing partner. You could validate that they have real science. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you don't know them as well as you would have liked because uh, you haven't met them face to face. But, you know, these, you know, the, the founders are all from like elite universities. They're super smart. And it's obvious that they're super smart, right? There's not that much more information that you would have really been able to gather in an in-person world than a virtual world, not mm. to be able to make the call. Yeah. No, super interesting. And I thought it was I thought it was interesting what you said about doing the reference check. Yesterday we talked to Fred. Fred said he dives into personal questions. <laughs> and I was a bit like, well, <laughs> I guess that's one way to do it. Um, so, yeah. So I think it's really interesting to also see how different different people kind of approach the topic of getting to know people virtually uh, differently. Yeah, I, I would say, again, most of the things that we've ended up writing, like in terms of deals, have been you know, we have we have it's not like we've known the founder for like 
like years and years. And so you have a sense for the character of the person, but you don't really know, right? I mean, you do your references to make yeah. sure that they're good on the commercials. But you don't, it's not like, it's not like you know them, like someone who went to school with them would know them. Um, so a lot of our references are less on the personal side. They're just more on the market side because, mm. you know, we're an information business. We gather lots of stuff from people and then we kind of figure out how to get smart about stuff. And information passes you by a, a lot less frequently in these kind of, in, in this kind of virtual setting, right? Because you're not like having informal conversations, like talking about random stuff and then learning stuff as a process. You've got this like very structured day where like, you know, every half an hour, every hour is accounted for. It's like, you know, face to face on Zoom. It's it's a different experience. So so you know, how do you make up for the information is I, I think you end up doing more references. Super. Well, I think that gives uh, people a pretty good idea of what to expect. More reference calls, maybe a smaller check, but potentially a faster deal. Um, Hussein, it's been really great having you with us. And I hope that uh, you'll enjoy making a few more remote deals. Yeah, well, we're, we can't wait for life to get back to normal. I'd love to travel again. All right, everyone, thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. If you have any feedback or if you want to suggest a topic for the future, uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email. You can email us at press at stationf.co. Anyone from around the world, make a suggestion. We'd love to hear it. And finally, make sure to follow us and not miss out on the next podcast episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google. All right, see you soon.